Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game by hearing from leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode titled The Need for Flexibility and Collaboration, I have the pleasure of speaking with Karina Bauer, the CEO of the Amex Group. We cover things like how flexibility and cooperation with all clients and partners is key to delivering events in times of uncertainty. We talk about why creative approaches to online events in 2020 have shifted to more practical content-driven approaches in 2021. We cover how IMAX plans to continue to experiment with ways to bring the trade show to life online. We talk about how IMAX is intentionally not called a hybrid show and is not trying to offer business appointments online. We talk about what drove the resilient IMAX team to be closer to clients and partners than ever before. We talk about why IMAX has invested in IT, innovation, marketing, and design. And we talk about what a hybrid workforce means for the event industry going forward. Finally, we talk about why more sustainable events are possible and should be the goal for all event organizers. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. I am delighted to have with me Karina Bauer, the CEO of IMEX. Hello, Karina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Miguel. Thanks for having me. Now, Karina, you and I go way back. I worked with IMEX for six years, from 2011 to 2017, which was which was great, great times, lots of shows, which was uh, lots of traveling around the world representing IMEX, which is also enjoyable. Um, but for those people who don't know who you are and how you got to be the CEO of IMEX, could you give us a little brief story of who you are and how did how did you get to be you? Yeah, sure, um, absolutely, Miguel. So um, about twenty years ago. Um, IMEX was founded by my father, Ray Bloom, um, and he had been in the exhibition industry since the early 80s, actually. So in many ways, I kind of grew up in the industry. A lot of our summer holidays were spent doing um, what were then IACBB, now DI conferences and MPI conferences in the summers. Um, and obviously, I went to EIBTM shows because that was uh, the show that he founded in the 80s. So I had kind of a, an inkling of what the industry was about. And um, in 2002, formally joined IMEX just before about a year before the first Frankfurt show um, with the intention to just uh, help out as I could for that first show and, and leave and do something else. Um, but I really loved it and ended up staying and, um, you know, when I joined, I wanted to join and just learn the business. So I didn't join as CEO. I joined, you know, in a marketing position and learned different elements of the business. So when we um, launched IMEX America, uh, that was when I transitioned into the role of CEO. So I've been doing that for a little over a decade now. Okay, great. Um, and if you speak to friends that are not part of the industry, how do you explain to them what you do? Yeah, so I started saying that um, I'm a trade show organizer and then they look slightly confused. So I say I organize mega events for the events industry. And then they still look a little bit confused. And then I explained that, you know, essentially our exhibitors are destinations and cities, countries, hotel groups, anybody who's trying to attract biz, big globally rotating business events of any type and that the people who come as buyers are those people from all over the world from corporations or or trade associations or agencies that put on those types of events and that tends to get through um to people pretty well 
Nice. It sounds like you've rehearsed that a few times and you've tried a few I different have. explanations. <laughs> My <laughs> elevator pitch has finally come good. <laughs> Excellent. And what makes you enjoy the industry? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. I think there are a few things for me personally. I mean, people always talk about the people and having had a little bit of experience of other industries, I do think we have a very special industry from a people perspective. There are really kind, open, genuine, down-to-earth people in this industry um, and they're global and that's always really interesting, isn't it? To meet people from different cultures with different outlooks who are open enough to explain what that outlook is and, and help you understand it and be welcoming um, to you. So I think that's a massive part of it. I think also I enjoy the pressure of events. I enjoy that that sort of rise of pet pressure as you get towards an event, seeing and feeling the fruits of your labor, knowing that you've done everything that you possibly could to make it the best possible experience, and then having the ability to sort of stop and pause after it and review what you've done and sort of improve for the next time. I like that cycle, and I think that fits with um, just my personality and even the way that I used to work at school, it, it kind of fits with that. Um, when, when we're recruiting, I always say to people, if you were an exam person, you'll probably like events because you kind of, you know, you have, you, you go into an exam knowing you've done everything you could do and it's too late to do anything more. And there's a certain pressure to that. And if you enjoy that, you'll probably enjoy events. Yeah, I could see that. It's very different from a, a type of role where there's a, a continuous output right you, you you it ramps up and then you have peaks and troughs right absolutely and i think right. um i even um clean my house like that i have peaks <laughs> and troughs <laughs> so i i kind of you know that's how i live my life and i think it suits me from that perspective great so we've just come off uh imax america ended uh what's it maybe just over a month ago now um quite an achievement you you promised to get the industry back together and and i think by most accounts you you did that which which is very impressive so tell us how it all happened because i think there was a lot of really interesting elements obviously the the uncertainty around covid uh vegas as well i mean it's, it's kind of a, a unique destination and and then you had the added uh you know challenge of the um u.s uh travel ban uh, ending just the day that the smart monday kicked off i mean give us a little bit of, of things from your perspective now that you've had a chance to kind of reflect on it a little bit yeah it was a roller coaster for sure i think um probably by about spring we felt pretty confident that we could put on a good show and you know in, when we've had to cancel the shows um both in Frankfurt and Las Vegas in 2020 and early 21. Um, we did so because we didn't feel that we could um, put on shows of the quality that we would be proud to put on and the quality that's expected from the industry. We felt quite confident that we could do that for IMEX America, especially as we saw things starting to really open up in the US um, in the summer, like from June onwards. Can I just expand, could... ask you to expand a little bit on what you mean by the quality? Is that the amount of people, the type of people, the amount of exhibitors, like how do you define what makes a quality show? Like what is that kind of threshold? Yeah, that's another good question. I think, um, I mean, ultimately it's about getting sufficient number of our exhibitors and hosted buyers from around the world um, there at the same time. But of course, it's always focused on those hosted buyers because if we can get the hosted buyers in, um, it's likely that the exhibitors will be able to come as well. We so you were kind of looking for a commitment from a sufficient number of hosted buyers that say, yes, I'll be there. And then that gives you the kind of quality that you're looking for. Absolutely. And you can see the sentiment and trajectory um, based on what's happening around other events, based on the feedback that we're getting daily through the team, because um, our team is speaking to the industry daily and to their clients daily. So we can we get a very good view of what's happening. And certainly we saw when we opened registration in June, it was the fastest registration 
um, growth that we'd ever experienced. It was sort of three to four times faster in that June, July period. Um, so we knew that the demand was there. And we also knew that there was a, a good sized domestic um, buying audience who buy both in the US and globally. And they were telling us they did have business globally for 22 onwards. So we knew that we could fulfill that promise that we make to our exhibitors around the fact that if they come and they take a booth, that we um, can guarantee that they'll meet the buyers in sufficient number and quality to actually get their return. And that's the promise we make to them. So it's it's incredibly important that we feel that we can deliver that. And, and if we can't, we, we can't put on the show. I mean, it's a very simple bottom line in the end. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, the industry always appreciates how early you, you actually canceled the shows that you did have to cancel. I, I mean, I've seen some horror stories like IBC canceled their event in Amsterdam, I think, a week before it was going to happen, which of course is terrible for all the exhibitors that are possibly already shipped everything over and are, you know, getting ready. To yeah, it. it's it's gonna... a horror story. And in the beginning of COVID, um, there were some shows that just had no choice because it happened so fast and they were kind of in the eye of that storm. Um, but we weren't in the eye of that storm. We could project forward and we know what our timelines are for us personally as a business. Um, we know what they are for the stand constructors and for the exhibitors. We know when people have to put down deposits that are not refundable for hotels or booths or whatever it is. And we, we made that sort of decision early on that we would do everything in our power to make sure that people didn't have wasted money or time, in fact. And, and so um, it, it's difficult because sometimes you're making decisions pretty early but you have to do it on what you really see that trajectory um being kind of three months out essentially so we felt confident with imex america i think there was just a roller coaster because of course the delta variant came in um suddenly we were we had been looking at what sort of restrictions in terms of vaccine mandates or mask wearing or testing regimes would be needed in July, things looked great in the US and not many shows were doing that. Delta came in and it, it quickly became apparent that in order to create a, as safe as possible environment and to give that confidence to people to come, um, it was essential to put in more restrictions, which was why we decided that the best possible thing we could do in terms of the overall safety, but also something that we could really um, fulfill in terms of what we could check on a daily basis was that vaccine mandate. Um, yeah. And whilst it's not 100% perfect, we can see, and all the science shows, that by having a fully vaccinated population in there doesn't mean that there's no COVID, but it means that the likelihood of um, COVID and the likelihood of spread is significantly reduced. Uh, and so it certainly we had a lot of great feedback um, that that, you know, that that did help people to really feel comfortable. And then, as you say, you know, we were sitting there in the summer saying, well, by November, of course, the borders will be open. It was almost inconceivable that, you know, they wouldn't still be open. And then as we got closer, um, we got the announcement in September that they would be open, but without a specific date, which was almost worse, you know, um, and it was it was difficult. And the, and the team just had to deal with multiple contingency plans. You know, they redrew the full plan five times and they did that in order to give our Europeans in particular as much flexibility as possible for as long as possible. And that's kind of what we learned was you know, as event planners, we want to make decisions months and months in advance and have everything set and ready to go. And we simply couldn't do it. So it's very uncomfortable for us and for the industry. But that sort of agility and flexibility and ability to make decisions at the right moment for the external circumstances, rather than when you want to do it as a business, that that's actually what was the hardest thing. Um, and it just meant we had to, you have to have multiple contingencies if you're making decisions later. And so you put in a lot of upfront work, but you know only a third of it's going to really come through. But that gives you the comfort to push the decision further. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, on, on our side, we talk a lot about hybrid events and uh, without getting into the technology, I think one of the best or most interesting thing about hybrid events for attendees and sponsors is that choice, right? Is that flexibility. And it, you're kind of talking about the same thing here, except on a trade show level. How do you give your exhibitors the most flexibility that you can? And it sounds like it's, it's a lot of extra work. Yeah, a lot of extra work. And also it's about a partnership ecosystem because we couldn't give them that flexibility if their stand constructor didn't give them their flexibility or if the venue didn't push the date for when they could place orders um, without ramping up the price or, you know, or their hotel rooms weren't cancelable, all of those things. So, you know, that sort of really fantastic supplier ecosystem really came into its own where everybody said yeah we we'll do everything we can to get this show on and therefore all of us have to give that flexibility um and you know we had three or four different options for just getting the staff to the show you know so every single element just had multiple options uh, and we created multiple options for contingencies on site you know if there were COVID cases or, you know, whatever it is. And um, it, it was very interesting in that sense, a lot of work, but also I think we learned a huge amount from it. And do you think that's the only way forward now? I mean, because it, it does sound like companies, organizations that don't aren't able to offer that flexibility or don't want to, I don't think people are going to work with them or, or it, they're going to lose out to the ones that are able to offer that flexibility. I think in our current environment, I think it's very difficult to be a company that is very rigid because um, the uncertainty in our external environment at the moment is such that if you are too rigid, um, you will close down options for yourself and for your customers without a doubt. Um, so I don't say those companies have no future, but I think their future or their immediate future is definitely made more difficult. Um, by offering a, or a lack of flexibility. Um, I hope that the external environment won't stay this uncertain and volatile forever. Um, but I think this kind of learning doesn't go away in a way. And um, we all know that the worst can happen. And so I think people are going to certainly be much more questioning of terms and conditions and flexibility than they were before. Very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm um, just curious, do you do you think this will impact, you know, both shows, IMAX in Frankfurt and IMAX America going forward? Um, or do you think you'll go back to doing things as you used to do, you know, in a situation where, where there isn't so much COVID uncertainty, let's say? Yeah, I, I think that actually what we saw at IMEX America was, and what we, we deliberately tried to design was a mix between doing some new things, some innovations like our broadcast studio, um, learning from what we've been through, looking at the flow of the show, how people interact, giving a heightened sense of comfort, not just safety, but actual sort of comfort as well in how people navigate the event, um, but also designing in familiarity. And we didn't try to change everything. And actually the feedback was that people really appreciated the fact that it felt normal in in were the words like so many people came up to me and said thank you this feels like a normal show this is amazing so i think we have to be careful and obviously it depends on your event but for us what we did before worked and it worked really well you know our buyers got um their business done in an efficient manner, an enjoyable manner, and saw the people they needed to from all around the world, and it saved them time and other trips. Our exhibitors got their return on their investment and time. People managed to do their education. So we're very careful about not breaking the model that already works and, and assuming that because, because we had to stop because of global pandemic, that all goes out the window. I don't believe it does. But I do think we have to be through this period, and we're still learning, I think, really cognizant of the psychological and behavioral changes that have come as a result of this and keep an open mind to those design changes of that event, of the whole event, so that we can tweak it as we go. So I suppose what I'm saying is. I think you'll see constant incremental innovation really focused on this, but not a fundamental change in the nature of the trade show. 
It's really interesting because IMX America was also in a new venue. So by default, things were new and different, right? But but it sounds like you tried to put things in similar places and organize things in ways that people who'd gone many times would feel familiar, right? And kind of find things and feel comfortable. And it's really interesting that you're saying that because you're kind of saying, don't change too much, right? Like, like if people are used to something, it's actually good in this time of uncertainty to have something that they're used to. But at the same time, you're saying, on the planning side, you have to be extremely flexible and probably it's more costly and, and more complex to do it that way. So it's like you have to be flexible to make sure that from a user perspective, you give them the comfort of not changing in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as with everything, there's always a balance. Um, and I also think you have to look at your event. How successful was it beforehand? Because there are some events that maybe were not so successful and maybe could really benefit from a massive overhaul and this pause. And there are other events, I think, like ours that were very successful in many different ways for all the stakeholders. And then we have to be very careful not to change for change's sake. And that, that's how I would put it. So change if it's going to really improve improve the user experience for your customers and stakeholders but don't change because people are saying that the world is different and you should change so i guess you just have to be very determined about it and thoughtful it goes back to understanding your objectives really and if if, if the event fulfills the objectives then there's no necess necessity to change at least change dramatically right i think Correct. small changes innovation are always are always positive yeah Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So I wanted to go back a little bit to uh, sort of the start of the pandemic, uh, you know, IMEX in Frankfurt uh, 2020, that was a little bit more uh, of a last minute cancellation compared to the other ones, right? Uh, and I know you, you built Planet IMEX, which I think at the time, everybody felt was a real departure from anything that IMEX had done before. Obviously, it was just an online thing, but it was a very... Um, gamified it was very kind of cute i think i don't know if that's the right word to use but it was and i think it, it received a lot of you know people liked it i think ultimately uh, but talk to me a little bit about the things you've done online when you weren't able to uh meet face to face for the shows and also you know at this last show you mentioned the broadcast studio so if you take me through a kind of journey of online activations and, and kind of hybrid-ish activations and we can discuss whether it's hybrid or not at, at later on yeah so i mean when we first cancelled the frankfurt show um you know from our perspective we were sort of nine ten weeks out so we had everything set the the education program was about to go live on the website you know we had all the speakers we had all the sessions so it was kind of the obvious thing to do to um, say very quickly, of course, we'll do something online. And um, as you say, Planet IMEX um, was a gamified 3D world and, and we loved it. And, and we, we created that because our sort of guiding principle to do something online was to just give back to the industry and create joy and just bring people together. And so that sort of guiding principle led us to do something very joyful and fun and exciting. Um, we really loved Planet IMEX and we loved that 3D world and that model. What we struggled with in hindsight after we'd done it twice was linking the experience of that 3D world with the actual delivery of the education and the networking and the business appointments because that world wasn't that tech wasn't quite ready for that full integration. So we decided to um, shift um, in 21 to something which wasn't as gamified and exciting as an experience, but was a full integrated platform for the Buzz Hub. And the other thing that we looked at at the end of 2020 was we 
I well, we felt very strongly that um, you know, Planet IMEX was 2020. And, and I even said to the team at the end of the year, that was so 2020, what are we gonna do in 21? Because this idea that people are going to be online for hours and hours and hours, for days and days, like they are in a trade show hall or a conference, I just didn't think was likely as we went into 21 and as the world started opening up. And I think we've been proved right for that. Um, and so what we sought to do was still bring the community together, deliver education, deliver business networking opportunities, um, but do it in a much shorter snippets, more frequent, shorter and in one integrated sort of place where people could go. And we also wanted to experiment with this community building aspect and what does it really take to drive people into the networking element of these platforms. Uh, and we wanted to learn from the experience. And we decided um, to do that in early 21. And then as we looked forward towards IMEX Americas, we, we said, well, what learnings from this can we take to the show? And we decided probably in spring, summer of this year that IMEX America wouldn't be a hybrid show. We didn't really believe that we could deliver a full hybrid experience because for us, the show is about, you know, the core is about the business that's done on the booths and those business opportunities and everything we'd seen over all the online events we've done was that people are interested in coming in for some great content. They might have one or two one-to-ones, but ultimately that element wasn't really working that well. And so we didn't feel that we could deliver IMEX as a hybrid because the IMEX is about the business. What we could deliver was some great content online and give people a sense of what's going on at the show. And actually, I kept saying to the team, you know, we've been doing this for a decade because you, Miguel, you know, started that for us when we first started doing Facebook Live at the show. And we were talking, you know, back in 2011, 2012, like, how do we give people a window onto the show when they're sitting at home? So we've been talking and doing things forever really uh, around that. So this I saw as an extension of that. And that's why we built a broadcast studio on the show floor, but we didn't again seek to just um, record the sessions in place. If there was a session going on in the Inspiration Hub that we thought was gonna be good for the online audience, we got that speaker to come to the hybrid or the broadcast studio and do a separate sort of mini version for them. And we also did dedicated content for that audience on a specific time zone that we thought would, would work as well for the Europeans in particular. So I guess, you know, we saw it as something, a window into the show, but something also very separate from the show. Mm. Um, and I think I think that worked well. We weren't trying to mix the experiences of the online and in-person audiences. That's really interesting. A couple of questions there. Is that something that you think is likely that you'll keep doing? I, I don't know 100% what we're going to do for Frankfurt yet because we're still evaluating, um, you know, how popular it was, how used it was. I suspect that we might do less live content because actually I think what we saw is people enjoyed the content, but they weren't necessarily needed it to be live. Um, so, so that's an interesting dilemma in a way, I think. Um, but certainly the learning of how to really give people at home a window onto the show. I think we learned a lot from that and I think we can use that going forward. And there were so many different things that we did from education, panel discussions, Instagrams, takeovers by different people in the industry. Um, you know, we also had like a 24 seven uh, video editing because we had people in the US and in Europe, which was because people from Europe couldn't travel. Um, but it actually gave us the ability to create like short videos from the show much more speedily. And we utilize those over social media and our website. So yeah, there, there were a lot of learnings, I would say that the team are kind of looking through at the moment to see, well, what do we now take from that into 22? Yeah, it does sound, especially from, from the time I was working at IMAX, all the things that we did, this seems like a continuous development of you know all these technologies and all these broadcasts, et cetera. It's interesting that you don't call it hybrid, right? And and that's something that we're doing a lot of talking about and a lot of research that 
why do you not call it hybrid? Is that a perception thing or do you feel like hybrid only, um, you know, hybrid needs to be a full event experience that is live and online or in person and online? Yeah, for me, I think um, hybrid has come to mean in people's minds that there's a mix between the online and the in-person audience, which we weren't offering. And that um, if I say that IMEX is hybrid, to me, that would mean that we were allowing or enabling business appointments to take place online as well as in person because that's the core of our show and again we weren't offering that and so I wanted to be very cognizant of not um, misrepresenting what we were doing because we were broadcasting content from the show we weren't offering that that mix of experience um, and so that's why we were very deliberate in our wording we talked back in June about the wording and decided very deliberately to call it a broadcast um, for that reason, because I just didn't want to yeah, misrepresent and confuse people. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought for a long time that, as you say, this desynchronization, I think that's a great word, a great explanation for it. I think that that can work really well. And, and there's no reason hybrid has to be everything at one time. Um, and I think that's definitely the type of thing that, that we'll look for um, in the future as well, because at our shows, you know, you, and at any event, you've got the opportunity to capture so much great content that you can use for your community engagement year round. And that's probably, you know, where most people will go, unless it's a very specific meeting that you need people to sort of call into in that moment. Otherwise, you know, if you're at home, do you care that there's the event going on right this minute or whether you can get the content next week? You probably don't care because you're not there anyway. You probably haven't cleared your schedule for that event that you're not actually attending. So I think, yeah, so I think it's an it's interesting psychologically and behaviorally. Yeah, I mean, you know, consuming content is nice on demand. You know, you can fast forward things, you can skip things, you can do whatever you want, right? When, when you're actually meeting people, then it's different. You, you have to be live you know whether it's in person or online yeah i think you know we're seeing that with a lot of shows uh cvent connect for example quite a large show now i think they're scheduled for april in las vegas they've basically they've said you know live in person and there's a virtual experience but they've not called it a hybrid right and i think a lot of shows are going in the same direction where there's a a separation of there isn't a live experience that's virtual or that's online but it's not necessarily hybrid in the sense of connecting the two audiences because it is quite challenging even though you know there are some some successful situations i also wanted to mention i think there was a lot of other um broadcast studios or, or broadcasts from the show i mean i i counted maybe five or six i spoke with dolly and she said there was about 50. I, I don't know where she got 50 from but i know a lot of exhibitors were doing some sort of content capture for, from the show and i think that makes a lot of sense because if the whole industry is there then it's a great opportunity to capture things right to get some interviews to, to do record some sessions yeah totally i mean i don't know how many there were 50 sounds a lot but who knows i mean certainly it's a fantastic way for the tech exhibitors to showcase their platforms and their capabilities um so a lot of the tech exhibitors um were had little uh, studios on their stands uh, some of the trade associations like mpi they were doing it as well some of the exhibitors uh, sorry some of the hotel groups um actually partnered with some of the tech exhibitors so the tech exhibitors did it from their booth and the hotel booth so yeah there was a whole mixture and why not because like you say if you've got 
you know, eight, 10, 15,000 people from the global industry in one place and time, uh, why not take advantage of that content? And then all the media partners as well, uh, kind of broadcasting onto LinkedIn or whatever. So I think it was great actually. And, um, and it's great as an organizer that you can kind of, you know that there's all this content as well going out. It's not just yours. And there's loads of other great content. Do, do you battle with the idea of, you know, not having control? Because uh, if, if everybody's broadcasting onto whatever channels they want to, at some point, you have no idea how many things are being broadcast from the show floor, right? Is that something you want to control? Or is, are you just happy to have everybody broadcast whatever they want? On the whole, I'm absolutely happy. I think the only time that we want control is if it's branded as us, you know, if it's an IMEX product or purporting to be an IMEX product, then there's a certain quality um, level and seal that we want on it. But if it's clear that it's XYZ exhibitor broadcasting onto their LinkedIn or Facebook um, from their booth, I have no problem with that. I think on the whole, it's beneficial for everybody at the show. And, um, you know, we lost control a long time ago on the networking <laughs> events that were going on and everything else around the show. So I think we've sort of um, worked out that um, trying to have control over these things is a losing battle. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's only about that quality seal if it's ours. And that that's the only thing that really um, concerns me and the team. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm glad you you mentioned team there because I wanted to talk a little bit about the team. I mean, I've, I've seen some changes in the team. I think, uh, you know, you talked about also challenges and of course, getting the team to the US. I know not everybody was able to travel and, you know, there was contingency plans of people traveling to other places before going to the US to kind of be there in time. Um, how did this all impact the team? Because I mean, it's been a pretty stressful couple of years. Uh, I can imagine it's taken its toll. Could you talk a little bit about what the team looks like now and, and how it's been impacted? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the team's been amazing, I would say. Uh, hugely resilient, adaptable, flexible, and good-humoured as well through it. Um, we actually have a slightly larger team now than we did pre-pandemic. We have made some kind of structural changes. So we had an IT team of three people. We've now got a transformation, an IT team of, it will soon be 10. Um, so we've, we've made some real investments in areas of the business around IT systems, processes, transformation, project management, and that will impact um, the systems that we can provide for our customers over the next sort of 12, 24, 36 months. And so we've got a real transformation plan in place. Uh, and so brought in some, you know, very highly skilled, um, knowledgeable people around that. We've also um, really made some changes to our marketing team and, and we've got a design studio in-house with two people now. Um, so yes, we've made some real, real investments in different parts of the team. And of course, the team has learned so much, whether that's about broadcasting, uh, whether it's about managing um, events on Zoom or Swap Card or um, you know, whatever other um, systems, um, what it takes to put together virtual education, what works, what doesn't. So, so yeah, so we've got we, we've had some big sort of shifts, but on the other hand, uh, we've still got our core team, you know, people that have been with us for many, many years. Um, as well as some new people. And I think we probably, you know, at the show, we probably had about 15 people who'd never been to a show before, some of whom had joined us pre-pandemic um, and they were working to the first show and just, you know, never never got to Frankfurt 2020. Um, so, yeah, so it's been, there have been some big shifts and it was really valuable to get those team members to the show and just for them to really feel and see what it was uh, that we do. We've been promising some of them for two years that we really do run a trade show. <laughs> uh, we yeah. really are in the events business, even though, you know, they hadn't experienced it yet. Um, so that at least they believe us now. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm sure it's been tough to keep the team kind of going, obviously, without the revenue from the shows. I mean, I don't know how much you can share about this, but you know, how close were you to sort of going, okay, this, this, this may not work. I mean, were you, were you at risk of uh, at any point? 
We we weren't. We had um, managed the business conservatively and well for many years, and we were also lucky enough to have some insurance as well. Um, so those two things allowed us to um, get through the period, a, a period which otherwise um, could have been even more difficult. I think for us, it was very difficult, um, but we weren't in a survival situation because of those two things. And so that allowed us the freedom to focus on the needs of the business and the needs of the team. And initially it was just about, you know, when we first went into lockdown March, 2020, it was just this massive focus on how to keep the team um, sort of going really and, and motivated and, and, um, and just, you know, and valued when we were in this remote um, setup. Um, but, you know, they, like I say, they adapted really quickly. And one of the things they did do was just that they had the time to be constantly um, in touch with their clients. Um, and that I think really, um, helped us when it came to saying, right, IMEX America is a go now. And we already knew where our clients were with everything. Uh, and we and we'd really developed those relationships. That's great to hear. So one of the trends that we're following pretty closely is this idea of a, a hybrid workforce. Um, is that something that you're also doing with the IMEX team? Um, and, and also, how are you seeing it with, you know, on the wider scheme of things? Yeah, I think one of the things we were building towards was far more flexibility anyway, prior to the pandemic. And this just sort of blew that up. So now, yeah, we have our uh, we have a very uh, flexible working hours now. Um, so people can kind of um, come and go as they need to. So if they need to do the school drop off or go to yoga in the middle of the day, whatever it is, that's fine. You know, as long as they get the work done. And we also have um, basically our rule once things kind of opened back up in the UK was work more in the office than not and that was it so you know for some people they want to work every day in the office and that's fine and for some they might want to do three out of five days and that's fine so we're kind of trialing that at the moment and we'll see how that goes uh, we're also letting people work from abroad for a few weeks a year um, and yeah so we try I think what we've learned is we've got the systems in place that people can work from anywhere we think there's a massive value in people being together a lot of the time. It's an efficiency value. It's good for morale. It's good for innovation and creativity, but they don't need to be together all of the time. And so it's just how we get that balance. And so that's really what we've been experimenting with since sort of late summer. Obviously, things have gone backwards a little bit here in the UK. Um, but certainly when they, when it comes back again, um, we would expect to do that again. And I'm in the office today. We've created a really secure environment that the team are happy with and they feel safe here. We've had you know no spread of cases here. Uh, and so that's good for people. It means that they, they know that they can come here. There aren't too many people here, but it's another space for them to come to. For sure. But how do you see that... Um... In the larger scheme of things, I think, you know, a lot of big companies, I think it was a BA even let go of their office at Heathrow, things like that. Um, a lot of companies are now sort of remote first or aiming to be remote first and, and kind of, you know, having most of their workforce working from home. Um, do you think that's going to be a big impact for the industry, for the event industry? Laura? I actually think that um, that will impact the industry positively, because I think if they if offices or companies are remote first, they need to create specific environments and events to get employees together for creative brainstorming, for innovation, actually just for incentivizing and motivating them and building team um, dynamics. And I actually think those remote first companies will need to do a lot more team in-person engagement and they'll still use events and office space but in a very deliberate way to sort of bring people together you know maybe monthly maybe three monthly or whatever so I think for the industry that will have a very positive effect in time um, it's not we are not intending to be remote first we're just intending to allow flexibility for sure yeah I, I mean I think that's it almost sounds like there's a possibility of events replacing offices, right? In yes. the sense of, you know, if you're only using an office once in a while for a brainstorm, well, it's an event then, and you don't need a physical office to be there permanently. You just rent something out and, and make an event out of it. Right? 
Yes, totally. Uh, yeah, I think I think that um, I think uh, some US companies are already talking about um, how they do that. So I definitely think that's a trend. Are there any other trends that you think are, are you know going to impact us going forward? I mean, obviously, it's it's such an uncertain time and, and continued uncertainty, I think, is probably one of the biggest trends that we're seeing. But do you think that's that's what's going to impact the industry most over the next few years? Yeah, I think, um, of course, uncertainty, volatility will continue to impact us. I think the other thing that obviously impacts our um, industry greatly is um, restrictions on travel and changing um, sort of rules and regulations and, and inconsistency. And I think that's one of the most damaging things um, for our industry. On the other hand, what we've seen sort of in the few months where things really were getting a lot better, especially in the US and in Europe, is this massive pent up demand for travel, for in-person experiences, you know, really focusing. And then going back to the design, really making sure that your event, if you're bringing people together, delivers a very special in-person experience. Um, and just this massive, demand for people being together. And I think those are the really positive aspects for our industry. We have the expertise and the knowledge and ability to deliver that pent up demand. And also, um, you know, you saw with even something like COP um, in Glasgow that, you know, the industry is needed, people need to get together to further very important issues in the world at the moment, and that's not going away either. So I actually feel really positive about our industry. We are not without our challenges. We're not without uncertainty, but I, I think people should be very positive about what's coming um, in the future. Having said all that, we must make sure that we are on our front foot in terms of the race to net zero, because otherwise that will impact us negatively without a doubt. Um, but we can foresee this coming. So hopefully that means that gives us a chance to deal with it. And, and could you expand a little bit on what we could do about it or how do we deal with it? Because I think it's, it's you know, I see a lot of companies talk about sustainability and, and being a part of the solution. But the event industry is a is an, is an industry that is largely unsustainable and it's hard to find ways to, to to counteract that you know from the travel and from the waste that that we create what are the ways that you think are, are really good ways to to um to combat that yeah i think in terms of the way we build and run um events and look at that event um, life cycle. There are certainly many, many things that we can do if we work together. So that's the supply chain all the way through to organizers and venues to actually eliminate possibly all of that waste and really rethink the materials we're using so that they aren't um, going into the waste streams, um, reduce water consumption. So I think events genuinely can be run in a much more um, sustainable or less impactful way. In terms of the travel, obviously, we need to work with, if people are traveling to come to your event, then uh, we need to work with the travel industry to see how they're going to be reducing their carbon footprint. But I think if you look at an event like IMEX, say we've got 3,000 buyers coming, we need to meet five destinations, and that's a small number, say five to 10 destinations, we are also avoiding all of those other trips that they might have had to make. And so events can be um, very positive in the sense of reducing other trips and other travel that would have happened had that event not happened. So I think we need to start being um, intelligent and sensible. And also we need to start calculating and measuring all these different impacts, working together and then, it, and then um, deliberately working through each of them together. We won't be able to solve this problem in the next 12 months, but what we can do is make a definite commitment to work together. And then actually what's happening right now in the industry is they're calculating which areas are most um, impactful from a carbon and waste perspective so that we can start eliminating those areas first. And I think it's about not doing this as a scattergun approach. There's so much to look at, but actually, we need to be really targeted. And I think if we do that all together, we can make some really good inroads. And I think we've got the ability and time 
um, to do that because we're starting now. That's great. And it, yeah, I think it's it's easy to be negative about the, the sustainability of the industry, but I think it's also, you know, if you're feeding 15,000 people, they would have had to eat somewhere else that day as well, right? So it's not necessarily just thinking about how wasteful it is to feed 15,000 people. Actually, it can be quite efficient to feed everybody in one place because then, you know, you're only making one lot of food or something like that. So I'm Absolutely. sure if you extrapolate that to all sorts of other areas in the event industry, you can uh, save energy and save resources in that sense. Absolutely. Excellent. And it sounds like a quite hopeful vision for the future of events. Is there, is there anything else that you would add in terms of your vision for what events can look like? I think the main thing I would just say is for us to be really cognizant of the design and the strategic purpose of events. I think that's the big thing that will change. I think there's a very positive outlook for the events industry, but that's not to say there won't be some radical changes. And it's not to say that every event is gonna survive and thrive. I think the events that survive and thrive and the new events that come up are gonna be ones that solve a particular problem, have a very specific objective and a design to deliver that. And that's what all of us need to focus on to make sure that we are truly delivering value to our organizations and to all of our stakeholders. So that that would be my big takeaway. That sounds, yeah, that's an excellent takeaway. Solve a particular problem and, and, and get a successful event. And then that problem may just be that people are lonely and, and want to engage and want to connect and, and events are a great way to do that. Absolutely. And that's a great, isn't that a great reason to put on an event? Absolutely. I think it's important not to forget that that's a valid objective and, and, and a useful thing to do. Karina, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I want to ask you that the question that we ask everybody that comes on the show, um, who should we have next on the podcast? So I've been thinking about this and there are so many great people, aren't there? I think I would nominate Porrit Gilligan, who is from Sulnua and the CMO of Site. He always he has an amazing um, blog for those that don't. And no, uh, he speaks incredibly eloquently on all different subjects in the industry because he's really been around the industry and, and in different areas of the industry for many years and is also very knowledgeable about incentive travel. Um, so he would be my pick. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Karina. Thank you, Miguel. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.